30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Hello and welcome back everyone to This Podcast is a Ritual. On today's very special episode, because they're all very special episodes, we're going to be talking with John Stancato, founder of Sing a Secret and Inside Voice, a series of vocal training classes and workshops that use a method that's very different than your your standard vocal workshop. I actually found John a few years ago, or maybe the magic found us both, when I realized that I'd never learned how to sing. My family wasn't very musically inclined. I didn't take voice lessons. I didn't really do much choir. And I could make my way through karaoke by being a wild and crazy guy, but I had no idea how to hit a note or carry a tune and was actually a bit self-conscious about it. And I realized that this is something that people learn. It's a skill. So I thought about taking voice lessons. And then when I did some some light Googling, everybody that I saw in New York City that was turning up was an opera coach. They're working with professional singers to help them get even better. And it was just way too intimidating. So I, I filed that idea in the back of the old brain. And then I was looking at an event listing And at the very bottom, they mentioned a class that was a free class called Sing a Secret. And it was open to anyone, regardless of experience. And they quite explicitly said, do you think you're tone deaf? Do you feel like you just can't sing and never learned how? This is for you. And so on a Saturday morning, I woke up early and I went into the city to go to the basement of a church to roll around on the floor and sing with a group of strangers. And it was absolutely incredible. As I got to know John Moore, I found out he's also a tarot reader and makes his own essential oils. And just as basically your quintessential new age guy in the best possible sense. No creepy vibes, no patchouli scented ponytail, just a deep, sonorous voice and a kind, generous heart and beautiful eyes that stare all the way into the bottom of your soul. So let's get into it and learn how we, too, can find our voice. Welcome to Ritual Space. John, what are our magic words? Uh, I have... For a long time, been in love with the power of the word joy. Joy. Mm. Wonderful. One, two, three. Joy. Joy. All right. So today we're going to talk about how to find your voice. Mm. And I know that this is something that's very important to you. It's your life's work. Yeah. And I'd love to start at the beginning with um, 
just where your voice was at originally yeah. and how you uh, overcame some of those challenges. Yeah. Um, so I love to sing as a kid, as most kids do. Um, but I found myself uh, using my voice quite um, problematically as a seven or eight year old. I was, I guess, screaming a lot and I would end every day with a very, very hoarse uh, throat and I was uh, brought to an ENT and they told me I was developing nodes on my vocal cords and that if I didn't change how I was using my voice, I would be uh, need an operation. And so I got pulled from my favorite classes in elementary school and sent to speech therapy instead, where they told me that I needed to learn to develop an inside voice, mm. which was basically their code for shut up. Shut up, yeah. Um, and... Um, they told me that every way I was using my voice was wrong, every way I was breathing was wrong, and so I emerged from that experience with a tremendous amount of shame. Um, and uh, over the years, uh, that shame continued in different ways. I found that my voice changed uh, earlier than other people's voices and changed to a lower pitch than many other people's voices. And my love of singing music like James Taylor no longer seemed within my reach and as i strained to find the notes that i was once able to sing nobody said things like oh you could lower it an octave and still uh feel the sound in you uh and i just found myself ending up somewhere in between their voice and my voice so my idea of tone and pitch got more and more distorted and so by the time i was um 20 uh, years old i considered myself a, a tone deaf bass baritone and with a range of about three or four notes. Um, and I happened to meet a man when I was 21 named Richard Armstrong, who told me that I had a beautiful soprano. And uh, that sort of blew my mind wide open about the possibilities of the voice. And I've spent the last uh, 17, 18 years uh, expanding my love for my voice and therefore extending my range. And now I'm at a position where I feel that uh, my voice can uh, do any single thing I would like it uh, to do because each time I've looked into my uh, voice, I've found more and more opportunity and possibility and I've seen the same journey in all of the clients that I work with. And today my practices are called Inside Voice, which is just my little uh, middle finger to that, <laughs> uh, to that speech therapist exactly. from years and years ago. Yeah, And it's a so much true idea, right? Inside Voice is about going inside to find your true voice to find the voice that society has been trying to take away from you because we start with infinite range, color, and possibility, and that just gets narrower and narrower and narrower as life experience puts us into this tiny little band of existence. And to expand the voice is to expand the self, and it's a never-ending process of joyful provocation. What you've just described sounds almost like vocal dysmorphia. Yeah. Like, yeah I think yeah. we're so used to yeah. thinking about this as a body thing where yeah. someone... Uh, you know, most typically with anorexia or bulimia is, you know, trying to yeah. judge themselves by a beauty standard that doesn't apply yeah. to their, their genetic makeup and their and then who they are as a person. So they're trying to fit in the, the wrong mold. Yeah. Uh, and you also see this, you know, with uh, the more often masculine, but it can definitely transcend gender of like the, the physique, the exercise addictions and yeah. those sorts of things. But so rarely do we talk about voice. Yeah. Aside from the classic, you hear your voice on somebody's answering machine. Like, oh, go, God, oh, is, that, is that what I sound like? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you listen to yourself on a podcast and go, oh, no. Well, it's interesting. So I, I tell new clients that start to work with me that uh, in about two years, they'll actually be able to 
experience their voice as other people experience it. Wow. Um, and until then, they should stop thinking about how they sound because they actually have no idea. They have no idea um, because anytime they make sound, it is coded in so much self-criticism and fear. And we just don't talk about the voice as a society because we're all secretly terrified yeah. of it. I have so many high caliber professional singers. Uh, and to hear these people sing, you would think, oh, they just have so much confidence about their voice. They are deeply in tune. And then they come into my studio and they admit that they are terrified that they're going to be found out, that, that they just have some techniques uh, which allow them to trick people into thinking they know how to sing or thinking imposter they know. Imposter syndrome is right, everywhere. Everywhere. And, but there, there are so few people in the world who actually believe in their voice um, in both the metaphorical and literal sense. And, and I think it, it served a, a, I'll just say that there's a lot of, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, people in the healing world, whether they're energy workers or uh, shamans and it is inter- wizards, wizards. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it is really, really interesting that uh, for many people who have spent so many years developing and opening all these parts of themselves, the voice is often the last puzzle piece to be yeah. discovered. The idea of finding your voice also applies to so many art forms, like a writer is trying to find their voice. You hear that all the time in the stand-up comedy world. And I think what you said about what you tell your clients of you've got to just ignore your own judgment is so true because I've had the experience of artists that I love. I see them talk about their work and they're like, oh, my first novel is such an embarrassment. I wish it would just get burned and go away. And I'm like, that book changed my life. I'm glad you're not in charge of it anymore. I'm glad it has a life that goes beyond yours. And you've got to let that go. I think that's really the, the critical part is you've got to give your discovery process time to get into the zone before you bring in the judgmental editing process. And what you said about finding your voice is a really, really important um, thing. So when we talk about a writer's voice, what we're talking about are the characters, linguistic tics, structures that give that writer pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? Their voice is just the cumulative footprint of all the things that give them pleasure. But when we're talking about our actual voice, Pleasure is completely absent from that narrative. Um, and the voice presents an opportunity for us to be in dialogue with our pleasure at all times, not just the pleasure of vibrating our voice, not just the pleasure of sharing our voice. But I, I really feel that the voice is the part inside of me, the part of me inside of me that tells me what my pleasure is. Right. And so once I say that my voice is a synonym for my pleasure, then... I find that I become this incredible pleasure-seeking missile throughout my life, and I'm able to fill it with so much magic just because I'm trusting my voice to tell me when things are right, when things are wrong. I can know when I'm an inter. Um, if we were having this podcast, I would. We are having this right, podcast. We are, right. and I observed that I was not uh, in a place with my voice where I liked how it was coming out of me. I would know that that meant that I wasn't feeling good about this. And the same is true of about my workplace environment, about a relationship. I can tell if a friendship is on the rocks based on how my voice is with that person. And we can only align ourselves with the guiding intuitive power of our voice once we say, we are able to say that our voice is the voice of our pleasure and that it knows how to help us find it in the world. 
Are you talking about sort of you check in with your voice and notice that you're talking and sounding differently yeah. and that's yeah. giving you a bunch of clues? Yeah. yeah, totally. I guess that's very interesting. I guess the most common example that people probably experience is partner voice, mm. where you have your talking with your friends, normal voice, yeah. and then, hello, sweetie. Yeah. And it's just this, you drop it lower, yeah. and it's this other, you know, tone yeah. that you're using. Or like telephone voice. Hello? 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, can I have a, right, when people get an order delivery, um, you, they lose so much of the richness of their voice. And there's so many examples of um, both um, men and women who uh, talk about pitch shifts mm. in response to feelings of disempowerment. Yeah. Um, and, but they don't necessarily observe that in the moment. So they're missing this opportunity to say their voice knows that they're feeling disempowered. And if they said, if they just listened to it, then they would know that they can A, try to bring power to that situation, maybe using their voice, maybe it starts first, maybe it's how do you say, okay, I'm gonna be in my most powerful voice in this setting and does that change it? Or maybe the voice is telling you, you can't be in that situation because there is no room for your power there. Yeah. It's the canary in the soul mind. Exactly. I yeah. love that. Is that. Did you just invent that now? Just right now. Can I use that? Absolutely. Canary in the soul mind. There you go. There you go. Yeah. We're yeah. making things happen. Yeah. We're moving into that slightly better yeah. reality. One, <laughs> one funny slogan at a time. Yeah. I'm going to totally take that. I, I think I've been thinking a lot lately of noticing that when, uh, you know, living in New York City and being on the train or just bumping into people. Yeah. I have this thing where I go, oop. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like very funny, high-pitched, not how I normally sound in any other situation. But, you know, this, it's it's so instinctual. It's my literal first thing. It's this, oop. It's not even oops. It's just oop. Yeah. And then, you know, excuse me. Yeah. Or it's it's like I'm twisting my voice to sound as non-threatening, right. as non-assertive, just, you know, trying to quickly defuse someone cutting in front of me or yeah. me bumping into someone on the train yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and, and that's such a wonderful daily example of something that is happening throughout your life in so many ways that as you get deeper and deeper into doing the sort of work that I do, and I'm not the only pathway towards that work. There are a lot of beautiful people doing a lot of beautiful work that parallels the work that I'm doing. Let's it, talk more specifically yeah. about the work that you're doing. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Richard Armstrong. Yeah. And then what is the uh, what is the door that he opened? Yeah, so uh, Richard was part of uh, an experimental theater group called the Roy Hart Theater. And the Roy Hart Theater was continuing the explorations of a man named Alfred Wolfson. Uh, Wolfson was a shell-shocked World War I veteran who was haunted by auditory hallucinations uh, after the war. And he had gotten into the work of Carl Jung, who was like the new bestseller at right. that time. And, and these were hallucinations from hearing people yes, dying on the exactly. battlefield, right? He, he was yeah. a stretcher escort during the war. And oh. So he heard the worst of it. And um, so he sought uh, a sort of Jungian catharsis of being able to take that which was in his head and transmute it into the real world. As we know with like painting therapy and other uh, forms of non-talk therapy, that if yeah. you could take that which is bouncing around your imagination and move it out into the real world. Art, dance, exactly. painting, yeah. Harder with singing uh, when the sounds that you're hearing are sounds that all of the experts in the field say are sounds humans can't make. Mm. Uh, so he was being told that the sounds that he was being haunted by were actually impossible because a man can't make a sound that high, a human can't sustain a sound for that long, a person can't sing more than one note at the same time. And Volson said, but I heard it. I heard these people who sounded like animals uh, dying. I heard these men who sounded like babies crying. How can I do it? And they said, 
la 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 and that was the end of that and so he spent decades teaching himself and experimenting on uh both private individuals and groups who would allow him to further these experiments and he discovered that um the voice is the self and to work on the voice is to work on the self and to work on the self is to work on the voice and if you expand the self you expand the voice and uh so by the time of his death his um most um uh, most successful students had ranges such that for any note on the piano they had a note in their own voice and wow um though there's that sort of juicy technical ability that comes from this work that's not the reason to do it the real reason is that you feel like you are Whitman's statement of containing multitudes. You feel like everything which has once repulsed you in yourself has been expunged and transmuted into beauty and possibility. And then it's also cool that you could sing notes that nobody else could sing. Like right. that's a, like just a fun little side effect to be a man who could sing Mariah Carey's whistle tones, right? Well, it's, it's like it's like what you always hear about yoga or some of these disciplines where meditation or any of these things where the goal you're going for is going to have really cool side effects along the way, but they're always careful to tell you don't get lost lusting after the side effects. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. the yoga is not about being able to walk on hot coals or yeah. stop your heart for a minute or whatever superpower you're trying to get. It's about the longer journey. And if you're getting into interesting territory, cool stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And I do want to make clear that, uh, I, that the Roy Hart lineage is protected by the Roy Hart center um, in France right now, and they have their own uh, diploma programs, and I am not uh, an alum of that program. That I had this contact with Richard uh, when I was just an undergrad, and his work so powerfully influenced me that I spent uh, a decade riffing on it myself. And one day, Cold called the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and asked if I could uh, start teaching there. And um, through a series of encounters that I grabbed, called them, and you used your powerful voice <laughs> to make that connection. Yeah, and Gradually, I uh, uh, I was able to develop the work to a place where I felt like I could share it more publicly. And though it was originally intended just to be done with actors, I found that um, this is something that works for uh, any human who has a voice, uh, which is most humans. Most humans, yeah, <laughs> so pretty common. It's pretty extensible as a practice. The other thing that's really fascinating to me in this, and you know, on this podcast, we really try and have a long view of time, yeah. is the two points where you were talking about your pleasure and how you're using your voice to find pleasure. And yeah. that's the, the dowsing rod that, yeah. you're, that you've discovered. And then the origins dowsing of Dowsing rod, you're just giving me so much beautiful <laughs> stuff today. Canary in a soul mine, dowsing rod. Okay. It's all, it's all public domain. I'm okay. an open source wizard. <laughs> uh, but then the roots of it are in World War One, And yeah. a person who can't get screams out of their head. Yeah. And so it's just fascinating that we always have such a, a limited perspective on events and we see them as this very quick thing and yeah. we're quick to judge. Is it good? Is it bad? And yet it's fascinating that one person tormented by trauma and just ho the horrors of the, the 20th century, just one of the worst yeah. things to ever have experienced, that led to them to heal themselves and then to develop something that has reached up so now you can be working with vo voice students in Manhattan mm. and exploring pleasure. Yeah. And, and I think that's the real, the real magic. And this is why my magic word was, was joy is that, um, what this work teaches you is that all of that trauma, once you sort of move it into the voice, you can relate to it joyfully. And I've had to stare at the darkest parts of myself 
in doing this work. And I've needed to say, I love that too. And it's much easier to sing, I love that too, than it is to say, I love that too, because you have to dive right in. You can't, you can't lie to yourself in that moment. That singing asks for total commitment and to, to take these parts, uh, these fearful parts of yourself, these parts rooted in your trauma, rooted in your insecurity, rooted in your idea of scarcity and privation and to, um, to find the joyful love to celebrate those and to celebrate them in song, in community, as you share that with other people who are doing the same thing is such a powerful experience. Um, it's truly the best high I can imagine encountering in the world. Well, it makes sense why it's been a fundamental part of religious service for such a long time. Yeah. Whether it's chanting or singing, people figured out that if you put people in a room and sing at them with all of the power reverberating off of the walls, yeah. that's going to help them get closer to that religious experience. Yeah. A friend gave me, uh, I think it's like, a, what is it, like Time Life, you know, mm -hmm. like the they had all those books about, you know, the human body or things. And it's one of these anthology kind of books from the 70s that's all about witches and wizards. Mm. And I started reading, and the first story is about, it's some folktale of a, of a Finnish wizard who runs, he's the old, powerful Finnish wizard, and he runs into this young upstart who <laughs> slams his sleigh into him and then is challenging him to a duel. And the way they're having this duel is they're singing at each other. Oh. They're singing things into existence. I'm now stealing a third thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Singing duel. You can't, you can't steal what's freely given. <sighs> but I thought that was just so beautiful because, yeah. you know, uh, and the critique even because the young, the older wizard is like, show me what you got. And so the young wizard starts singing about all this stuff. He's like, that's mundane claptrap. Yeah. And then the kid starts singing about how he's the stars and the moon and it's all this overwrought hyperbole. Mm. And he's like, it's not true. Mm. You know, you, you learned those things. It, it really feels like, uh, like a freestyle rap battle yeah. where someone's claiming that they like invented the moon <laughs> and you know, they're, they're the only one that's saving hip hop. And it's like, it's also got that element of, uh, like capoeira. Mm -hmm. Um, and just thinking about that as a response to deal with oppression that, that, that there's the possibility. Capoeira is like the dance yeah, martial it's a, art. It's, it's a Brazilian dance martial art, um, which, um, I believe the history goes that it, it emerged as a sort of uh, slave code. Uh, it was a way for, uh, for people to communicate, uh, throughout that. And, um, yeah. And just the idea that the, here's a, a joyful way to, to compete with each other. Right. That's got. Uh, these overtones of competition, but it's also about transcendence yeah. at the same time. When I first moved to New York, I really enjoyed walking down streets like Broadway that are just so crowded and dancing through everyone. Yeah. Of finding, you know, you like arch your back up, you do a little spin, and you're just able to move through all of the slow tourists. And what for somebody else is frustrating and agony and they're going to go home and slam their shopping bags down and complain about for, like for you an excellent opportunity like, to dance. oh great it's a great yeah it's, there's always a moment to dance well and on that i it was only after falling in love with my voice that i started dancing i started uh, sketching i started writing poetry and short stories that this idea that once you find the voice you don't have to just sing that that voice can be expressed through so many different possibilities and I feel when I'm dancing that I'm singing. I feel um, when I'm playing instruments, I'm singing. When I'm writing a poem, I'm singing. They're all a way of just taking the little juicy part of myself and, and pushing it out into the world with, with my air. Yeah. yeah. 
vibrations. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating because even people that don't consider themselves a professional singer can still do something. Mm-hmm. Like there is this intuitive level to oh, it yeah. where someone who doesn't know, because with any instrument, you have to figure out how to play the instrument first. Yeah. You have to learn kind of what the keys do. and Or where you the, could just play it however you want. You can want. bang around on it, but you're not going to have the same ability. Like on a guitar, you're, you're just trying to figure out, you know, what where do mm. the notes fit together? Whereas, you know, I can go la la without yeah. knowing anything about yeah. that. Like I have no reason. Yeah. It's just in me. It's just in culture that I grew up in. Yeah. 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 You've that by the time you're 10 years old, you've actually heard enough music from your culture to have completely internalized on some really deep level, not only those intervals, but those pitches. Um, and I find it very interesting when I have people, um, summon pitches out of the ether, working a cappella, not uh, not using a piano or anything. I'll get out a pitch reader and find that just the la they gave me was a uh, perfect D or something mm-hmm. like that. And so that's really, really exciting to a certain degree that all of us who think, oh, I'm tone deaf or oh, I struggle memorizing interval. We already have it in us. We just need to remove the layers of BS that are preventing us from accessing that stored memory. On the other hand, it's also weird, very weird, strange brainwashing that we have all of this stuff in us uh, because pop music of the last hundred years has really, really narrowed our idea of what musical expression could be and in some cases has uh, overridden and erased a deeper, truer knowledge of music that we might have had otherwise if we hadn't been so invaded by these very predictable chord progressions and things like that. Yeah, I, I try to avoid, you know, the, the nostalgizing the past to the point of, of crapping on the present and the future. But it is fascinating how we've come up with this idea that fits into the capitalist scheme where a singer creates a song and they own that song yeah. as opposed to where songs used to be like memes. Yeah. And someone's going to create it and someone's going to do a different version and they're mm-hmm. going to add another verse. And I was reading... Uh, the writer Joseph Mitchell, he was a writer mm. for The New Yorker in the 30s and 40s. And he was writing about Mick Sorley's uh, tavern. It's, mm. what, it's like the oldest bar in New York. And talking about how, um, you know, the fellows would get up to harmonizing. Mm. And just what a different culture of instead of going into a bar where it's just the clatter of everyone. Yeah. There's, you know, family guy with subtitles on a TV in the background. Everyone's just kind of hanging around this bar but there's a lot of songs that you all know. There's yeah. old Irish songs yeah. and someone's going to, you know, start singing it and everyone else is going to join in. And I'm sure they weren't always beautiful and well yeah. sung, but still what a different experience to be sloshing beer around and just belting out some of the hits. And and what you're saying about harmony is I think a really, really interesting um, opportunity to talk about the fact that uh, that harmony as we understand it we think like, oh, I might be able to sing a melody, but I don't know how to sing harmony mm-hmm. or something like that. Because we think a harmony is you press a C on the piano and you press a G on the piano, and that's harmony. And in reality, if you sang any note and I started by matching you on that note and went up or down, at some point, something would sound extremely delicious. Yeah, And that wouldn't line up with any of the traditional harmonies as we understand it. And somehow... We've taken the opportunity for, for that sort of harmonizing, which is a really, really powerful um, way to communicate and share and connect. connect. Uh, we've taken that out of people's lives that we we can't 
give ourselves the permission to do that because we don't know enough music theory to yeah. know what the harmonies are. Harmony is just any two sounds together. And sometimes those sounds create an interesting tension. And sometimes those sounds uh, start spiraling up to the heavens. Right. And they're all beautiful and exciting in their own way. Which happens in conversation as well. Yeah. That you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced when they're traveling or they're speaking to someone with an accent and they start picking it up and they go, oh no, am I, I'm, I'm, I don't want this person to think I'm making fun of them. And yeah. it's like, no, you're naturally adopting their yeah. speech mannerisms. Yearning to connect through the voice. And that's what good communicators do. Yeah. They've even detected it in email where they can see an email thread and they can detect both people's writing styles and they harmonize and they become mm. more similar. So if one person's writing really long emails, the other one's writing short, the yeah. lengths kind yeah. of start matching that's up. That's beautiful. And yeah, that's reaching out yeah so let's uh let's move into the final portion of this and okay. see if we can come up with a nice little spell yeah for uh all of the participants tuning in to our vibrations mm. so we can harmonize with them throughout time and space yeah and, uh, make make a little music so there's there's a there's a thing that i begin uh all of my workshops and group classes with um it's a sentence and the sentence is, uh, you say your name, that you are a singer, and that you have a beautiful voice. And uh, I started out just by having people speak it. And in the last year or so, I've been in most of my classes, I have ha had people sing that sentence. And I feel like it's, that's a really good foundation for a spell. And also, maybe the possibility of, of, doing it with somebody else and telling somebody else that they're that like your name is Devin you are a singer and you have a beautiful uh, voice so Ooh. something about the ability to validate that for yourself in song in front of the mirror and to actually take somebody else and like pass it on like a contagious disease of beauty <laughs> oh I like this it kind of fits into the harmonizing idea so yeah. we have a few pieces that I think we can play around okay. so one is this mantra almost of yeah. my name and I am a singer and singing and I, and I have a beautiful voice. and I have a beautiful voice and unlocking that power yeah and then finding a way to share that with somebody else yeah so I'm trying to think of what the best way for people to share it is so it's not fully just putting somebody else on the spot but it's yeah like inviting them in to that experience yeah um let's see I I mean there's something really really powerful about about doing it with a stranger Ooh. um I know that that raises the stakes. It's risky, but I, I had some beautiful moments. I was just at a, a music festival in Joshua Tree, California, and um, there was a, a person who uh, just happened to tell me that uh, she couldn't sing, which is something that we hear people say all the yeah. time, like on a daily basis. Even when people don't know I'm a voice teacher, I hear them say, oh, I can't sing. Yeah. And... I feel like that's a really good moment to cast that spell yeah. on somebody is to just say, well, what's your name? <laughs> and then to sing, yeah. your name is blah, blah, blah. You Rio are. Rio <laughs> and you dance upon the sand. <laughs> and to say, your name is Devin. You're a singer and you have a beautiful voice. And make them say sing it back to you or something. I don't know. Some, some way to connect uh, with other people so it becomes viral. I love that. I think um, one of the things that I try and do on this podcast mm. is always think about what's the least you could do? Because yeah. I think we live in such an age of overwhelm where there's so many instructions totally. and things. And so um, I, I think I don't want to scare off any <laughs> uh, any participants who singing to a stranger might be just a bridge yeah. too far. Yeah. 
But what do you think about this idea of them doing the the mantra by themselves to unlock that yeah. power? And then sometime in the same week, finding someone that they can harmonize with. Mm. So that way they can yeah. share that. And then if you like, you can also share that mantra and yeah. have that person do it. Good. And now we can, from this moment, we can just imagine all of the ripples of that spreading out throughout time of all these different people unlocking their power, I love unlocking that. their voice. And we're all going to harmonize together yeah. in a way. Yeah. So I'd love to to give two little uh, qualifications for that. So I, I love the idea of the uh, solo song being uh, sung in the mirror. Yeah. Um, it's really, really powerful to sing in the mirror. Um, and when you're doing that, to look at your mouth, not at your eyes. To okay. look at your mouth in the mirror as you sing the sentence. And then with the harmony, um, I really love the idea of keeping it so simple of just taking any vowel sound that you're inspired to do and having the other person start by matching your pitch in whatever octave is most comfortable and then just moving their pitch up or down until it feels juicy to one or both of you and then just enjoying that for a moment okay i love that so everyone this is going to be our spell for the week Mm. you're going to unlock your voice you're going to find your voice in the mirror Watch your mouth, not your eyes, and then find a person that you want to harmonize with, that you want to connect with. Tell them that a wizard told you to do it, which always convinces people. Mm. And then you're going to pick your favorite vowel sound and just move around until you feel the, the connection get made. Yeah. Should we, you want to, you want to open your singing power and then sure. you want to bless me and then we yeah. can just get, uh, yeah. get that vibe to yeah. close us out. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll I'll find a note and you just find me. Oh, do you want to? Oh, so what did you want to do? Oh, the 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 mantra. The, the mantra. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can you start yeah, with yeah, your mantra, mantra yeah. and then you can do it to me yeah. and then I'll. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll receive your blessing. Yeah. My name is Jonathan. I am a singer, and I have a beautiful voice. My name is Devin. And I am a singer, and I have a beautiful voice. I love that. And now shall we harmonize? Yeah, beautiful. All right. All right. Do you want to be the starting note or the second note? I think I'd like to follow your lead. Okay. I'm going to step in the the footprints you leave in your wake. Thank you, John Singato. Thank you, Devin. Such a pleasure to spend time with you always. My name is Devin, and I am a wizard. And my magic is absolutely real. Wow. That spell works for everything. I am going to have so much fun with that this week. Thank you for tuning in. We've been talking with John Stancato. To learn more about John's work, you can find him at singasecret.com. And if you'd like to find your voice through the ritual magic that we're working here on this podcast as a ritual please become a participant by visiting patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual so that you can 
join the flow of our magic, and discover your own power within. As always, this is Devin Person saying, I believe in you. Your magic is real. Mm-hmm.